Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. Needless to say, no search warrant is needed to find relevant things in this market. This week, our three things are, one, supply constraints. What's happening with the other part of the inflation story? Two, recession timing. We'll share our view. And three, credit versus stocks. By one measure, credit hasn't looked this good since 2010. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. All eyes this week, of course, on the inflation data, which holds the key to how aggressively the Fed will tighten financial conditions, which, in turn, informs us as to recession probabilities, which help to drive default rates. Risk markets like the better-than-expected outcomes, which suggest that peak inflation may have passed. Yet nowhere near as much attention is directed at the other part of the inflation equation, namely that which the Fed cannot control, supply constraints. That's why we're here. Our view on inflation is that the problem and solution are known. We now know inflation is elevated because of too much demand, courtesy of stimulus, and not enough supply, courtesy of COVID and Russia. We know how to solve it. Demand destruction, aided by the Fed, while waiting for capitalism to fix the supply side. The latter will happen, of course, when high prices attract capital to supply-constrained areas. Now, no one expects either part of the solution to be all that predictable or elegant, something borne out in Treasury market volatility. But we'll get there. So it's quite possible that we've rolled over from peak inflation. On the demand side, the Fed's jawboning, along with shock and awe rate hikes, have driven financial conditions dramatically tighter since year-end. And on the supply side, we are also seeing improvement. The latest readings out of the ISM and Small Businesses NFIB surveys indicate supplier deliveries, inventories, and imports continue to constrain production expansion, but to a significantly lesser extent compared to June. Freight costs by ocean-going ship have fallen 36% from its September 2021 peak. And remember all the noise around ships queuing in the port of Los Angeles? Well, vessels there waiting to berth have fallen by 75% in 2022. Back on land, the rate of growth in ground shipping cost is slowing, and commodities prices are 11% lower than their June peak. Now, much of this is captured in the New York Fed's Supply Chain Pressure Index, which has fallen 57% from its year-ago July peak. So with the Fed working to tamp down demand and supply constraints beginning to ease, the inflation story seemingly is beginning to come under control. By no means are we calling for a Fed pivot anytime soon, and we still believe there are reasons to believe the Fed will overdo it when all is said and done. But for now, the uncertainty surrounding the inflation story is diminishing. And that's good ultimately for credit. And that brings us to our second thing, recession timing. The second consecutive negative GDP report, which became fact July 28th, but was long suspected, convinced many that the U.S. was indeed in recession, having met the NBER's past criteria for recession confirmation. We have not had that view because of the strength of the jobs market and the strength of the ISM surveys, both manufacturing and services. Now, don't misunderstand our view. We believe the economy is slowing materially and is headed toward recession, but we're not there yet. 
Since the latest GDP report, we had another debatably hot jobs report, which boosted the Atlanta Fed GDP Now estimate for Q3 to 2.4%, before the CPI report boosted that marker by another tick to 2.5%. All of this points out something we've held dear throughout the pandemic. We are in uncharted waters. The old playbooks don't work all that well because the distortions of the past two and a half years are monumental. And what we do know is that inflation is running hot and central banks are committed, finally, to taming it. We know that outsized fiscal stimulus has flipped to outsized fiscal drag. We know that the direction of travel slowdown is undermining consumer and commercial sentiment. And we know that geopolitical risk has amped up. All of that points to recession. So let's talk about timing. Now, what the Fed is doing, cramming eight or nine hikes into three meetings, is the monetary equivalent of shock and awe. And it shows no sign of a pivot, with two of its more dovish committee members, Kashkari and Evans, out there post-CPI to reiterate just that point, signaling that they expect raising to continue right into 2023. And let's not forget the committee's commitment to quantitative tightening, running down the central bank's balance sheet, which could easily be the equivalent of another 50 to 100 basis points of rate hikes. So in putting the pieces together, we believe we are looking for signs of a recession hitting in earnest in 2023 as the impact of shock and awe hits. Over the balance of 2022, we would expect more of what we've had thus far. Volatile swings in markets as investors interpret data driven by powerful cross-currents in the wake of COVID's massive distortions. All right, on to our third thing, credit's newly found relative value. Now, let's be honest. It was hard to make the case over the past couple of years, at least, that credit was attractive from a relative value perspective, especially versus stocks where Tina investing. There is no alternative to U.S. stocks, became the market's guiding force. Clearly, much has changed in 2022 for all assets, risk and otherwise. Yes, rates have risen and spreads have widened, making entry points palatable in credit for the first time since the beginning of COVID, when the Fed stepped up to backstop corporate credit. Triple B-rated corporate bonds now yield 4.8%, more than a point above the post-global financial crisis average and more than two points above where we were at the prior year's end. But how do corporate bonds compare to stocks? Now, clearly stocks have cheapened up in the great normalization. If we compare the earnings yield of the S&P 500, the trailing 12 months EPS divided by the index's price, to our triple B corporate bond yield, something quite interesting has happened. They're essentially even. That hasn't been the case since the immediate aftermath of the GFC. Ordinarily, investors demand more, considerably more, typically around two points more earnings yield on their stocks than the yield on their triple B bonds. Could you make the case that stocks are still overvalued? You could, just as you could make the case that corporate bonds are undervalued. Maybe it's a bit of both. In any event, the relative value of corporate bonds in this market by this measure is attractive. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, supply constraints. Slowly but surely, things are improving. Two, recession timing. 
it may take a couple of quarters for the Fed's shock and awe to hit home. And three, credit versus stocks. Triple B corporate bond yields compare favorably to stocks earnings yield. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest research and ratings reports. See you next week.